Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. take just a few minutes today um, to, to teach you something. I'm, I'm hoping that you want to learn something. Are you kind of in the mood to learn something? Um, it's easy on Sunday mornings, especially on Easter, to kind of just say, well, let's just have story time with the pastor. But I actually, I'm going to open up the Bible today, like we do on Sundays here at Dayspring, and I want you to learn something about Easter Sunday. And I think it'll be kind of a cool thing to learn. Um, uh, you know, I, I just, I love this time of the year. I love Easter. I love the, the excitement of it. I love, I love the fact of like coloring the Easter eggs and doing the Easter baskets. How many of you do that in the morning? Do you, do you hide the Easter baskets still? Uh, my, my mom and uh, dad did that forever. We did that for our kids uh, all through, pretty much almost all through high school, uh, hid Easter baskets. <laughs> and they got upset this year because we didn't do it. And I said, like, well, you're in college. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I guess they still want it. Um, but that's fine. But uh, it's good that we do it. It's good that we make a special time about it. And we make Easter an, an exciting thing that uh, the kids just kind of remember. Um, so those of you that are here with us on Friday night, on Good Friday, uh, we talked about the story of what happened when Christ died on the cross. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Easter Sunday morning. Of course, we know the basic story of Easter Sunday morning was when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, right? And the disciples and the, and the women came to see uh, who was there, and, and uh, he says what? You know, why, why do you seek the living among the dead? And of course, I'm, I'm risen from the grave. And so... Uh, one of the passages that comes up a lot during Easter, uh, one of the parts of the Bible that comes up a lot during Easter uh, that I hear about as a pastor, and I don't think a lot of people understand it, or I should say a lot of people don't really know what it's talking about, is actually not in the New Testament. It's actually a part of the Bible that's actually in the Old Testament. So we have the New Testament on this side, it's in the Old Testament it's on this side. It's actually the book of Isaiah. Uh, and, and the chapter of it is 53. So if you have a Bible today, I want you to look. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. It'll be no problem. You can follow along. But this passage in Isaiah 53 is actually the most quoted part of the Old Testament in the New Testament. It was quoted almost about 100 times. Uh, it's quoted, and it kind of tells a story about, really, about the Easter story looking at it from hundreds of years before when it was actually a prophecy. So when this was written, it was looking forward to the time of this is what's going to happen with the Messiah. This is kind of painting a picture of what's going to happen on Easter uh, and what, what the Messiah is going to do for us. And a lot of times, a lot of times we, we, we hear about this, but a lot of times we don't really understand, like, what was that talking about, or who wrote that, or was that in the New Testament? So if you got your Bible, again, we're going to be in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at this passage. It's the book of Isaiah. So if you kind of took your Bible and split it down the middle and then went to the right a couple pages, you'll find the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to start off, I just want to read like four or five verses of it and, and kind of tell you uh, what this is talking about. And again, this is prophesying uh, Easter hundreds of years before it even happened. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, uh, and look at, this, look at this verse, it says this, it says, who has believed our report? So the, the guy who's writing this is, is saying, basically saying this, no one's going to believe this. Like, like, this is so unbelievable, what the Messiah is going to do, it's going to be totally opposite of what everyone thinks he's going to do. Now, 
those of you that were with us on Friday night for Good Friday, we, we kind of talked about that, and, and last Sunday for Palm Sunday. Remember, uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and all the Jewish people are there going, Hosanna, Hosanna, we're so excited. You're going to save us from the, the, the corrupt politics and from Rome and from the heavy taxation. You know, gas prices are too high. We're just looking for someone to uh, be a political figure to fix all of our problems. They were talking about all the exciting things that Jesus was, you know, going to do, but they didn't, they, they forgot some of these passages here that talk about what he's really going to do and what his purposes really are. And so the writer here in Isaiah is going to, you're not going to believe this. This is what he's saying. He said, you're just not going to believe what I'm going to tell you here on this. This is what the Messiah is going to happen. And it says this, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? I thought this was kind of interesting. I'm just going to, we're going to do a little college lecture here, okay? I thought this was interesting that he says the word arm. Like when you think of the arm, you know, who's the arm of the Lord? Um, this is kind of an interesting thing because he, he, he says on purpose the word arm. Now, here's what's interesting. If you were to take your Bible and you were to go back a couple chapters, let's say you go back to the book of Psalms. Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. Uh, look at Psalms chapter 8, look at verse 3. Look what he says here. He says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy, what's that word, church? So in Isaiah, he's saying the Messiah is coming, and he's talking about the arm of the Lord, okay, the strength it's going to take to do what I'm going to tell you that he's going to do. But if we went back a couple books in the Bible, he talks about when, when God made the heavens, it was the work of his what? His fingers. It wasn't the work of his arm. It didn't take all of his body. And other parts of the Bible say that he literally breathed out creation. He literally breathed out the universe. So we look up at the stars, and last night was a beautiful full moon. And, and God's saying, look, I did the universe. I did the skies. I did the stars. I did, I did all the, the, the planets. I did that with my fingers with the breath. It was nothing. It just, that, that's, how, that's how much work it was, me for my fingers. It was nothing. It was nothing for me to do it. If we go back a few more books in the Bible, back to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus talks about when, when, when God had to release the, the children, uh, the Israelites, from the Pharaoh that was keeping them in Egypt. In that passage, Exodus chapter 13, verse 3, he says this. He says, for the strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out of this place. So, so God says, I made the universe with my fingers. When I had to get the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity, you know, I, I had to use the strength of my hand. But here in Isaiah, when he's talking about what's going to happen at Easter, he says this is going to take the arm of the Lord. So that's kind of an interesting comparison. I don't think that's uh, an accident. I don't think it's just a poetic way to write it. I think he's saying, listen, it was nothing. It was nothing for me to create the universe, but it's taking an awful lot of me, if that's the way I could phrase it, maybe that's not the right way to say it, because I'm going to pay the sin debt, the penalty for all of man's sin, and, and, and my son, the Messiah, is going to pay the debt for the bad things you've done. He's literally going to pay your debt of hell for you. And he's not just going to do it with his fingers. It's not just the strength of his hand. It's going to take this kind of strength. It's going to take the strength of his arm. It's, it's going to take a lot more strength. I think there's a little bit of a comparison going on here. So this is kind of interesting. So go back to our passage in Isaiah, verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So in other words, he's saying, listen, the Messiah that's coming, this Messiah, this Jesus for Easter, is, is he's, he's someone that is nothing great to look at. He literally compares him to a plant that's growing up in the middle of, of let's say, a field. 
He, he's not growing up around, around a great Christian heritage. You know, it's not like he's growing up in the Bible Belt of the United States. You know, it's not like his dad is Billy Graham, you know, and, and he's going to have this great Christian influence. It's like he's growing up, spiritually speaking, pretty much all by himself. Now, think about this. We think about the story of Jesus. Jesus' mother, Mary, knew who he was. Joseph knew who he was. But even Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't believe who he was. No, no, none of his family. They're like, nah, I don't think so. You know? but, but this verse is saying, listen, the Messiah that's coming in, in the world's eyes, is, is, he's coming from nothing. There's no big background around him. And, and he's just a simple, everyday guy. He's not flashy to look, like, uh, look at. He's not some popular pe- uh, speaker. He's not some magnetic personality. That when, when Jesus comes, it's not like people are going to be flocking to him because he's so cool. You know, he's not the guy that's, uh, you know, whatever. He's not wearing skinny jeans and, and awesome gym shoes just to be cool. You know, he's just an everyday guy. I have to laugh as a pastor. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. I laugh as a pastor because I see a lot of, uh, like, in pastors' blogs and posts and stuff that I read. There's, there's a big thing nowadays amongst pastors, and I don't get it, um, about the jeans that they wear and the brand of gym shoes that they wear. I guess it's, like, a really big thing. I don't know. I think after 50, you know what I'm saying, I, I just think... If you've got to be talking about gym shoes, I don't know, there's something wrong with your theology. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I don't think anyone really cares when you're a 50 what kind of shoes you wear, right? I just don't think it's a big deal. Um, do I really want to look like a 16-year-old? No. Uh, so, so but, but they're saying that for him, for Jesus, this, you know, this guy, it wasn't the coolest guy. He wasn't the best-looking guy. He wasn't anything fancy. He wasn't anything flashy. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected of men. So it wasn't like he was attracted by men or, or, or people esteemed him greatly. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's kind of an interesting passage there. You could underline those words, which means what? He, he didn't grow up in some home fed with a silver spoon. You know what I'm talking about? He didn't grow up on the good side of the tracks where everything was given to him. He's acquainted with grief. We, we don't know what happened to Jesus' father, but we know he's not at the cross. Uh, we would assume, because the mortality rate w- w- was so young at those, those times, uh, because of you know, medicine and medical things, uh, well, he, he experienced death in his family. He experienced a loss of loved ones. And, and we don't know all the story of what happened to Jesus growing up, but the Bible is pretty clear that he was acquainted with, with grief. He didn't have an easy life. He didn't grow up and everything was just peachy keen, everything was fine, and, you know, I was fed on a silver spoon. If you have a hard time, if you have something that you struggled with, I pretty much guarantee you Jesus had the same struggles, okay? He's acquainted with it. He's used to it. He's used to grief. He's used to sorrow. He's used to hard times. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So, so no one, again, was, was looking up to him. He was despised. So what does it mean about him being despised? Well, think about this for a moment. We know that Jesus grew up sinless. He, he never sinned. So think about this. He, he never told a lie. He never had a lustful thought. Uh, uh, he never stole anything. He never cheated on his exams. Uh, he never did half the things that you and I did in college on a weekend, right? And so think about his friendships. Think about that. Hey, Jesus. You know, you want to go out behind the barn and smoke a cigarette? No. You know, <laughs> hey, Jesus, the cheerleader over there, she's looking at you. Why don't you go ask her out on a date? No. Hey, Jesus, come on, let's go out to the bar tonight, have a few drinks, knock some down. No. Jesus, you're no fun to hang out with. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what he probably grew up with, but, but probably magnified even more. Hey, Jesus, you want to, you know, here's the answers to the test. 
no, I'm not going to do that either. So, so the, the, this passage here is kind of predicting it and saying, listen, he's, he's just, no one's holding him in great esteem and, 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 and no one's looking to him like, boy, this is the guy we want to be like. He's just an everyday, normal, ordinary guy. Look at verse 4. Surely, now this is where it gets interesting, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. No one wants to read this part of the passage. This isn't the fun Jesus. This isn't the Jesus we celebrated last week, Good Friday, when we say, you know, Hosanna, and the kids are waving the palm branches and saying, Hosanna, isn't this awesome? Jesus is coming. We love Jesus. This is exciting. This is the fun Jesus. No, this passage here is predicting this is where the rubber hits the road, Jesus. This is the reality, Jesus. This is the way it's really going to be and that uh, uh, what he's really come to do. It's not a pretty picture. It's just not a pretty thing. He's, he, he's not the guy that's going to fix the tax problem. He's not the guy that's going to fix politics. And guys, can we just be real honest for a moment? Until Jesus Christ touches foot back again here on earth, politics are not going to get fixed. Do we understand that? Do we get that? Now listen, I vote. I think it's good to vote. I want to be involved in politics. But it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It does, I mean, it does matter, but it doesn't matter. No, no person in the White House is going to wave a magic wand and all of our problems are going to be over, right? We kind of get that, well, boy, if Ronald Reagan would just come back from the dead, and you know, it's like, it ain't happening, all right? Yes, we're involved in politics. Yes, we pray for our political leaders, but, but our hope isn't, isn't in Pennsylvania Avenue. Amen, church? It's not. Our hope isn't in Madison. Our, our hope is, is in the Savior that they're talking about, written, written thousands of years ago, predicting Jesus' coming. This is what's important. This is what's exciting. Go down to verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So look at the beginning of the passage. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He paid the price for the bad things that we did. That's the reason Jesus Christ died on the cross. It wasn't because he did bad things, because he was perfect, he was sinless. It's, it's he paid the price for the bad things, the, the things that we've done, for the iniquities and the wrong things that we've done. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, I tell you, I've had some people say to me on that, say, well, Pastor, this says because Jesus died on the cross, um, no, no one should be sick. Like, we could all get healed from our sicknesses. All right, let me just let's be totally honest with this. In all of our DNA, in all of our DNA, it is appointed for everyone in this room, including me, we're going to die. All right? And that's the morbid, that's a sad fact, but it's the reality of it. If we could truly be healed from, from all of our physical sickness because of the fact that Christ died on the cross, guess what? None of us here on earth we, would never die, right? Why do all the faith healers on TV eventually die? I mean, it's kind of a weird thing, but don't you think, like, they would heal themselves? I mean, wouldn't that be the first place you'd start? Hey, before I heal you of cancer, i got to take care of myself. I mean, I think if I was a faith healer, that's what I would do. Let me fix the problem here first. But it's just the reality. This is not talking about our physical healing. This is talking about the fact that, listen, when, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, the very first book of the Bible, and Adam and Eve both sinned, they were separated from God. They're, what was introduced into life was death. Because when Adam and Eve were created, when the garden was created, it was for them to live forever. They weren't supposed to die. That wasn't the plan. So when they sinned, when they turned against God, when they chose willfully to sin against God, what was introduced was death. Okay? And the fact that, that, that someday the clock was ticking, they would have to die. 
and, and someone was going to have to pay for their sin debt. So when it's talking about this, with the stripes we're healed, we're healed with the, with the ultimate problem of this, of, of where is our eternity. We're healed with the fact that, listen, if we die with the mortgage payment of sin being on us, the Bible says we will spend an eternity in hell. When it's talking about by stripes we're healed, we're healed from what? We're, we're healed from the fact that when he died, he's going to pay that mortgage for our sin debt. And, and this, is, this is, like I said, this is what the real story of, of what's really happening uh, on Easter when it was so prophesied. Go down to verse 6. And we like, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And look at this last part. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, of what? Of us all. God laid on Jesus Christ our sins. Verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So this is interesting. Again, he's being compared to a lamb. We, we talked a lot about that on, on Good Friday. You know, when you think about a lamb and you think about a shepherd, think about this for a moment. Uh, when you, if you have a shepherd and the shepherd has sheep, what's the purpose of the sheep? The purpose of the sheep ultimately is what? To die for the shepherd. Either you're going to feed my family or I'm going to sell you and you're going to feed someone else's family. But the reason we're raising sheep, the reason we have these sheep, is so that you would die to benefit the shepherd. Jesus Christ was the good shepherd that did what? He did the opposite. The shepherd died for the sheep. See, that's not normal. That's not the way, way it's supposed to be. Every, every faith, every other religion out there, what happens? You have to do the work. You have to send your sons to die for your God, but not in Christianity. In Christianity, our Savior, our good shepherd died for us. He did the work so we don't have to. That, that's what's so amazing about Easter. Easter is the, 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 the exclamation point of the fact that God did the work so we don't have to do the work. Every other faith out there, every religion out there says that you have to do the work. Right, listen, I'm glad that I don't have to do the work. You want to know why? Because I don't think my works are that great. They're just not. Oh, pastor, you know, you're a pastor of a church. Yeah, I'm a pastor of a church, but I'm still not perfect. Now, I'll say this. Uh, the pastor's wife, now she's perfect. Help me out, all right. <laughs> but the pastor's not perfect. Who said that? Was that? <laughs> Polly Sue, can we get an usher up here to escort her out of the church? <laughs> but he paid the debt. And, and so Isaiah 53 is laying out the clear story that, listen, the Messiah that's coming, Easter that we'll celebrate someday, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ someday is the fact that the Messiah is going to do the dirty work so we don't have to do the dirty work. And then what we celebrate on Good Friday is the fact that Jesus Christ literally died on the cross to pay the sin debt of mankind. Um, I was at Menards the other day and I was looking through my pocket and I had a receipt on me. Um, Menards is a great time to shop Menards because they have the rebate. How many of you do the rebates? How many of you forget about the rebates? You know how much money Menards makes on forgotten about rebates? <laughs> the, the receipt is the proof that you paid for it, right? You go to a store, you're going to buy something, you go to Menards, you, you know, you're going to buy grass seed or buy some flowers, and, and you pay for it. They say the, the mortgage or the cost, the expense of that garden seed or the grass seed or that plant is so much money, and you pay, that, you pay that bill, you pay that money, you give them the money, and in return, they give you the receipt. You walk out the store, and they say, excuse me, sir, did you pay for that? 
And what do you say? Well, I don't know. No, what do you do? Yeah, I paid for it. I mean, you show them the receipt. And when they see the receipt, there's what? There's no question. I, oh, I, I get it. You have the proof. If you didn't have the receipt, how many of you have done that? You walk out of a store and you, you know, I don't need the receipt. And you walk out the store and then the buzzers go off and they're all looking. And you're like, and they're like, sure you did. Right? You and like every other thief, right? And no, I paid for it. Aisle number four, I think. I, you know, it's like, show me the receipt. So if you're like me, you go and you, you do some shopping, you, you know, you got your bag of grass, you, whatever, you keep the receipt with you, so when you walk through the thing and the buzzer goes off, you're like, and they're like, ah, go ahead, you know. That's the proof that you paid for it, okay? So Good Friday, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the sin debt of mankind. Sunday morning, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave is what? It's the receipt. It's the proof. See, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then he's just another prophet. Uh, I have some friends that, um, that are Muslim, and they're good people. They're wonderful people. They're very good people. The problem with their faith is that their spiritual leader, Muhammad, is still in a grave, and you could go there today, and you could see his bones. He's still there. Buddha is still in the grave. You could go see his bones. You could see what's left of it. You, you can still see those today. Jesus Christ, if you go to his tomb, isn't that interesting that we know where these tombs are? And it's just amazing we have proof of that. It's what? It's empty. Why? It's the receipt that it was paid for. Why? Because he conquered death. He paid the mortgage. He paid for it. You and I don't have to have a receipt. We don't have to have, we don't have to pay for it. Why? Because he paid it for us. And this is what was talked about by Isaiah so many years ago was, listen, this guy is coming. He's going to pay your sin debt for you. The shepherd is going to do the work for the sheep. The sheep don't have to work for the shepherd. The shepherd's going to pay it for the sheep. The debt has been paid. And then on Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate the fact that he did rise from the dead. See, the, the, let me use my phone to show this. The simplest way that I can think of explaining it is just watch this. Watch this and we can be done. Pretend for a moment this hands me and you, and pretend that my phone is all the bad things that we've done, okay? Uh, now, I, always get, I always get nervous when I do this because I know that, you know, what's her name? You know, the lady on here, S-I-R-I, -I, you know, that one, you know? She's going to start talking to me any second, you know. Did you mean call someone? It's like, stop. <laughs> so whenever I use this for an illustration, I get a little nervous that she's going to wake up here on me. Uh, but pretend this hands me and you. Pretend that my phone is all the bad things we've done. So here we are. Here's the bad things we've done. The Bible says, and we saw it there in, in the Old Testament prophesied years before Christ came, that we have bad things, okay? We have iniquities. We have things. We've all done bad things, right? We've all done bad things. Now, Pretend for a moment that my right hand is God, God's in heaven. There's, watch this, there's no sin in heaven. Because <laughs> if there was sin in heaven, it would be hell, right? I mean, that wouldn't be heaven. Heaven's perfect. God's perfect. God's holy. The Bible says he's just, he's holy, but it's perfect. Now, God says, I love you. I hate the sin. I want you to come to heaven with me when you die, but I don't want the sin. See, watch this. The sin separates us from God. You see that? It, there can't be us and sin in heaven. There can be us in heaven, but there can't be sin in heaven. So, so ever since the very first book of the Bible, ever since Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, God says, oh man, someone's going to have to pay the mortgage. Someone's going to have to do it. The book of Isaiah prophesied it that guess what? There is a Messiah coming. 
he is going to pay our sin debt for us. He's going to be the shepherd that will be wounded for our transgressions. He'll pay the iniquity for us. Now take a look at this verse. I love to show this verse because it's so clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now look at this part right here. And I don't know how people mess this up. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. God, now listen, God does not say anywhere in the Bible. And listen, if you could find it, if you could find it, you could, you could show it to me, but you can't find it. Nowhere in this book does it say you have to stop doing something to pay for that sin. Stop doing drugs, stop smoking, stop, stop watching porn, stop, stop hanging out with bad people. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible that you have to stop doing something to pay that mortgage. It doesn't say it. Now, what's interesting, too, about the Bible is that it says this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to start doing something to pay for this. Okay, here we are. You have sin. If you start going to church, going to church will pay for that. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say, you. well, uh, pastor, I'll get baptized. My church teaches me that, that if I got baptized, it'll pay the sin debt. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Well, pastor, you're using a different Bible. You get any Bible you want. Go get the Catholic Bible. Get the Lutheran Bible. Get any Bible you want. No Bible anywhere in the world says that if you do something good, you start doing something, it'll pay for that good, that, those sins that you've done. It doesn't say it. Well, pastor, I'm going to give a million dollars. Well, listen, if you gave it to this church, maybe we can work something out. But, <laughs> but, but it doesn't say it. So it's not, it's not you stopping something, and it's not you starting something that pays for this. It doesn't say it. It says what? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the story of Easter, right? Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay our sin debt. That whosoever, what's the next word? Church starts with the letter B. It's what? Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, I realize I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay it. But God, I believe in the story of Easter. I believe that when Jesus Christ died, watch this, when he died, he paid the mortgage for my sin debt. He, he, remember that passage we just read in Isaiah? He took our sin, our iniquity, and he's the one that took care of it. God says, you know what? If you'd simply believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, God says, I see you through my son as forgiven. The debt was paid. You didn't pay it. God knows that you didn't pay it. But my son paid it, and you accepted the fact that my son paid it for you. So our job, our responsibility is just to accept the fact, to understand the fact, to believe the fact that God paid my debt for me because you can't pay it. And, and, if you, and if you die tonight and you think that you're going to go to heaven because you're a good person, you're going to be severely disappointed for the rest of eternity as you spend it in hell because you're trying to do something that's a slap in the face to God. He said, no, I paid it. And if you try to work for it, you're disgusting to me. You're, 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 it's offensive to me because you can't pay it. You could never do enough. Take a look at this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 9 on that panel over there. It says this, for by grace, this is God's grace, you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's nothing you do. It's a gift of God. It's not what you do. It's not your goodness. It's not your baptism. It's not your, it's not your church communion. It's nothing. It's what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. Trusting in that, that's the payment for our sins, and God says, you are forever part of my family. That is the story of Easter, and the book of Isaiah prophesied it hundreds of years before Christ even came, and it made it very clear. The shepherd is going to do the work for the sheep. All we have to do is believe it. Isn't that cool?
Isn't that awesome? So, if someone ever talks about Isaiah chapter 53, I think I heard something about that. You just did a quick little study on Isaiah 53, and now you kind of get it, and you hopefully understand it a little bit better on Easter, right? That's a good thing. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up with a word of prayer. We're going to sing another song, and then we're going to go get those kiddos and go do the, uh, do the egg uh, explosion, all right? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we're thankful for the fact that our sin debt was paid in the cross 2,000 years ago. We're thankful, Lord, that you predicted it to be done. We're thankful that, that the writer Isaiah wrote that down, and he said, man, this is unbelievable. It's going to take all of God's strength to do this, but he's going to do it to take care of the, the sheep, to make sure that their sins are paid for. Lord, maybe someone today, maybe someone today thinks that they have to be good or go to church or give money to go to heaven or have to quit something or have to start something. Well, if I just stop sinning, I can go to heaven. Well, Lord, today they understand by these verses, they understand by, by the Bible that it's not a matter of what we do, it's a matter of what Jesus did. The work is done by Jesus on the cross of Calvary Easter 2,000 years ago. All we have to do is just accept it. In the quietness of our mind, Lord, maybe there's someone tonight that's praying, praying to God, God, I realize I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay for it. But today I believe that Jesus paid my sin debt for me. I accept that. I trust it today. I get it. Today I get it. Today I'm trusting what Christ did on the cross. It's not what I do. It's what Jesus did. And I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he knew me and he died for me. He paid my sin debts. The darkest, deepest sins that no one knows about, he paid for them all. And I accept his payment for that. Lord, maybe someone's trusted in you today as Savior. I ask that you give them a special blessing today. They'd remember that Easter Sunday morning, 2022, is a day that they trusted Christ as Savior. And, and Lord, I ask that you just give them a special blessing. Father, I pray for safety and just a fun time as we go do the eggs with the kids here in a few minutes. And thank you, Lord, for these people that made such a priority to be here today. In your name we pray. Amen. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.